last weekend, many people on our campus, and really many people all over the city of Las Vegas, and in reality, all over the world, many people last weekend on Easter began a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They began to know God personally. And you know, I had a thought this week as I was thinking about that, that um, the Bible says in the Gospels that when one soul comes to repentance, when one person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that the angels in heaven do what? They rejoice, right? When one person comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, the angels in heaven rejoice. Can you imagine what it must be like in heaven on a day like last Sunday when literally tens of thousands of people all over the world hear the gospel for the very first time in countries and in cultures in every corner of the globe for the very first time hear and respond in faith to the gospel and are born again into relationship with God? Can you imagine what the crescendo must be like in heaven? As the rejoicing begins to just permeate heaven, celebrating the victory of what's taking place. And we don't ever need to lose sight of that. We don't need to take for granted that Jesus is in the life-changing business. Amen? That was so weak. We don't need to take for granted that Jesus is in the life-changing business. Amen? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Listen, last weekend, there were thousands of people all over the world ushered into the kingdom of God, out of darkness, into life, out of death, into life, out of bondage, into sin, into the freedom of walking in Christ. And the angels in heaven rejoiced over that. And we don't need to just slide by that because Christianity at its core is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship. It's not rules and regulations, do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs. Christianity is a love relationship between us and God that has been made possible through everything Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. It is a personal, every one of us who know what it is to be saved, to to know God. Every one of us who are genuine, born-again Christians have a personal relationship with God. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Now, I want to put a statement on the screen to challenge what we just said. Although God designed our relationship with Him to be personal, it was never His design For it to be private. The New Testament knows nothing of a private Christianity. In the American culture that we've been raised in, that we live in, in North America, there is this idea that it's my personal relationship with God, it's between me and God, it's just a private thing, it's just something for me. 
But the reality of the New Testament is, as you read from the Gospels all the way through to the end in the book of Revelation, the New Testament knows nothing of a Christianity lived out in isolation from others. And as a matter of fact, Jesus gave us a very specific way to publicly declare our personal relationship with him. You know what it is? It's baptism, right? As you came in today, you saw that deal. We kind of gave you a tip on the way in. You saw the the big pool out there. We're going to get to celebrate baptism. We just celebrated baptism in the early service. 22 people in our early service professed their faith faith publicly in baptism and declared their personal relationship with Jesus, and we're so excited about that. Jesus told us that the way we make it public is through the vehicle of of baptism. As a matter of fact, here's what he said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now read the rest with me out loud. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus commanded his disciples to make disciples and baptize them so that they publicly declared their relationship with Jesus. That's really what baptism is. It is a public celebration where I'm giving a testimony that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And today is one of my favorite days every year in the life of our church. Because as you know, if you attend Hope, we baptize a lot. We baptize many Sundays of the year here. We baptize after the service. And the way we typically do that is when we get to the end of our service, we'll kind of up on the screen, we'll all watch as the baptism is happening outside and we're videoing it out there and we're projecting it on the screen in here and we're celebrating baptism together that way. But once a year, we do it different. Once a year, we kind of abbreviate the service. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to get you out a little bit early and we're going to all go out here and we got hot dogs and we've got chips and we got drinks to go out here and celebrate and get around the pool and watch as people people publicly declare their faith through the vehicle of baptism. And I personally love it because when I get to go out there and, and baptize myself, that's always a special joy. I don't get to do it every week because of the way we normally do it on the video and we got other services happening. But this year, this time every year, I get to go out and get in the water with them and be a part of seeing people baptized. And I always love watching people publicly declare their faith through Baptism. So what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of unpack a little bit about what baptism is before we go do that. And I want to do it from a, an unusual place of Scripture. In Acts chapter 8, there is a, an unusual story, to put it mildly, that uh, we read about that climaxes in a moment of baptism. Acts chapter 8, if you have your Bible, I want you to open there. We're going to begin reading in verse number 25. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to put this up on the screen for you. Here's what it says. So, when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem. Now, the first question we've got to answer is, who's they, right? Well, the they here are people like Peter and Philip and many other believers who had come to Christ in Jerusalem... But then they begin to be persecuted in Jerusalem. And after persecution, those believers begin to be scattered all throughout the Mediterranean region. And they were going from village to village, place to place, preaching the gospel, starting new churches. What we're reading about in Acts 8 is how the gospel first began to expand after the resurrection outside the city of Jerusalem. It happened through persecution. So here's what it says. After doing that,
that, they were starting to go back to Jerusalem. Now pick up in verse 25. And we're preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Whole sermon there. We don't have time to get into it, but that's a powerful statement. Verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Verse 27. So he got up and went. Whole sermon there we could talk about. When God speaks, what do you do? You get up and go, right? You do what he said. It says, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. So get this picture. This Ethiopian eunuch, who was a part of the the queen's court, had been sent to Jerusalem, apparently on some official business, and while he was there, he decided that he would go in Jerusalem and worship. And obviously, he was a first-time guest. They must have given him a gift bag that had a copy of the book of Isaiah in it, right? Because here he is leaving church, and he's going home in his chariot back to Ethiopia, and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. Where'd he get it? They must have given it to him at church, right? And he's reading it on his way home. Pick it up in verse 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So Philip ran up and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? Now get this picture. Here's the Ethiopian eunuch. He's riding along. He's reading the book of Isaiah. And here comes Philip running up by the chariot. And he's just running along with him. He says, hey, you understand what you're reading? Look what it says, verse 31. He said, well, how could I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And Philip probably said, thank God, right? He's tired of running. Verse 32, now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, as a lamb before its shearers is silent, and so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, please tell me of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? You see the beauty of the sovereignty of God That God said to Philip, Philip, you go to this desert road. Why? Don't ask that. Just go. When you get there, you'll understand. And here's this eunuch who's riding along in this chariot, reading from the book of Isaiah. If you hadn't read the book of Isaiah lately, it's a pretty big book. And he just happens to be at this moment reading where the prophet is speaking about the one who's going to come like a lamb and take away the sins of the world. Look what it says in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and I love this phrase, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. He started right there in Isaiah, and he began to take the scriptures, and he began to unfold for this Ethiopian the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, how you could be saved from your sins. Then look what happens in verse 36. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, water. And here's the question of the morning. What prevents me from being baptized? Philip had obviously explained to this Ethiopian the gospel. And he talked to him about how when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the first public response to that 
is to be baptized. And the Ethiopian, while riding along, listening to Philip preach Jesus, had embraced Jesus in his life. He'd given his life to Christ. He'd embraced the power of the gospel. And as soon as he came up on water, he said, let me go in there and be baptized because I am a follower of Jesus. What prevents me from being baptized? That's the the question I want to wrestle with today. And I want to begin by doing something a little bit unusual. I want to start by telling you about two groups of people who are here today who do not need to get baptized. Okay? There are two groups of people in the room today, and you do not need to get baptized. Group number one, people who do not have a relationship with Jesus. If you're here today and you do not have a personal relationship with God, you do not need to be baptized. You see, baptism only has significance when there's a personal relationship with God in my life. Apart from that, baptism doesn't do anything. You see, without a relationship with Jesus, baptism is just a cheap bath. It doesn't mean anything. It has no significance, no meaning. No, there's nothing spiritual or mystical or magical about the water in the baptistry. It's the same water that would be in your house. Nothing about it of any significance at all except when you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Baptism is a picture of what's already happened in somebody's life. And the best illustration I've ever heard, I share it all the time when I talk about baptism because it just so clearly paints this picture, is this ring on my finger. When you see a ring like this on my left hand, what does that tell you about me? That I'm what? I'm married, right? This is a, what do we call it? Wedding ring, right? It's a wedding ring. It it tells you that I'm married. Now, I can take that ring off and put it right here on this, this pulpit. Does that make me single? No. Because this is just a what? It's a symbol, but it's a very important symbol, right? Because when I wear it, it gives a public testimony about a personal relationship that exists in my life. Doesn't do any good to wear this before you get married, right? This only has significance once there's a personal relationship. Now, this has great significance because it's the way that I tell everybody else that I've committed my life to my wife, and I'm not ashamed of that. That's exactly what baptism is. Baptism is when, as followers of Jesus Christ, we put on our wedding ring and we give a testimony to the world that I am a follower of Jesus, and I am not ashamed of that. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, you don't need baptism. You need to be born again. You see, before baptism has any meaning at all, there needs to be a relationship with God. And the way you come to know God is by turning from your sin and putting your faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ and everything that he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. Then, once we're born again, Baptism has great significance. So if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you do not need to be baptized. Let me tell you a second group that's in the room that does not need to be baptized today. People who have already been baptized according to the teachings of Jesus. If you're here today and you've already been baptized according to the teachings of Jesus, you don't need to be baptized today. Baptism is not something that happens over and over and over again in the life of a believer. It is a public, defining moment. 
There sometimes in church culture, I don't know if it's because of numbers or what it is, but we'll, we'll baptize people over and over again, and baptism wasn't given for that. Baptism is a public defining moment when you're declaring your relationship with Jesus. But th- there's a very important part of that phrase I said a moment ago. You do not need to be baptized if you've already been baptized. Here's the phrase, according to the teaching of Jesus. Jesus gave this practice to his disciples, and then the disciples in the New Testament began to model for us what baptism looked like. And at Hope, we believe there are three components that qualify something as baptism according to the teachings of Jesus and the practice of his disciples. So I want to give them to you this morning. Number one, it's after salvation. Baptism is not baptism until you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The only baptism practiced after the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the New Testament is a baptism of believers. There's really no theological debate about that. It is a simple reality. The only practice of baptism after the resurrection of Jesus is baptism of believers. You say, Pastor, why are you saying that? Because in a church like this, there are many different backgrounds, denominational backgrounds and whatnot. And we want to be real clear that we practice only what is called believer's baptism. Why do we do that? Because we only have one rule of faith and practice as a church. It's not the traditions of a church. It's not the traditions of a denomination. It's not just the teachings of men. It's what does the New Testament say? What does the Word of God teach? And the only baptism in the New Testament after the resurrection of Jesus was people who came to faith in Jesus and then after salvation were baptized. Here's the second qualifying statement. To be baptized according to the teachings of Jesus means after salvation, but here's the second one, by immersion. By immersion. Listen to what Wayne Grudem says in his systematic theology. Wayne Grudem is arguably written the classic systematic theology work. Over a half a million copies are in print in countries all over the world. If you want to become a student of systematic theology, I encourage you to get Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. We require every person that we ordain as a pastor, church planter, or missionary that's going to be ordained out of our fellowship, we require them to read cover to cover Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology because we want them to know what they believe and what the Word of God teaches. Here's what Wayne Grudem, in his defining work, Systematic Theology, (laughs) says about baptism. He says the practice of baptism in the New Testament was carried out in one way. The person being baptized was immersed or put completely under the water and then brought back up again. Wayne Grudem's a pretty good expert when he speaks on this subject. Wayne Grudem says in the New Testament, there's only one expression. Now, other expressions began to be used by the church in the years that followed. About two or three hundred years after the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, other modes and forms of baptism began to, to be used by the church. But the original mode and method of baptism was always by immersion. You say, Pastor, why is that a big deal? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons why it's a big deal. Number one, the meaning of the word. The word baptize. Say it with me baptize. It's not a new word. You've heard it before, but here's what I want you to understand about it. 
It's not a Baptist word. It's not a Catholic word. It's not a Lutheran word. It's not a Methodist word. It's not a Presbyterian word. It's a Greek word. Now that's very important. Because all of those other labels have added a definition to what we think baptized means. But the, the real word baptized, the word baptizo, where we get it from, is a Greek word. And the Greek word baptizo literally meant to immerse, to dip, or to plunge. And originally it was not a spiritual word. When we hear the word baptize, we immediately think of something spiritual because we connect baptism to church. But in the original usage of the word baptize, it wasn't a spiritual word. It was a word that referred most commonly to one of two things. It either referred to a ship that had been sunk. They would say, well, that ship has been baptizoed. It had been baptized. It's sunk. It's no longer above the water. It's below the water. Or it was used in everyday language to describe a piece of clothing where they were changing the color of that piece of clothing by baptizing it in a pool of dye. And then they would take that piece of clothing out of the dye, having submerged it, and bring it up. And now it's a different color than it was originally. They baptize it. A ship sank, baptized. A piece of clothing got dipped to be dyed. It was baptized into that pool or vat of dye. The word meant to immerse, to dip, or to plunge. You see that in the text of Scripture that I've read for you this morning. The Ethiopian embraces the gospel. But when they come upon a pool of water where they can get out of the chariot, and go into the water. And he says, wait a minute, now there's water. Why can't I be baptized? It's the meaning of the word. But there, there's an even more important reason. And that is the message that baptism communicates. Let me show it to you on the screen in this verse of Scripture. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. You see what he's saying there? Baptism is a picture of the gospel. When we, are, when we go down into the water in baptism, and you're going to get to see me do this with folks in just a minute. When we go down into the water, it is a picture that we died with Christ. That Christ died for our sins. And we were buried with Christ. But he didn't stay dead. Amen? We don't put them under the water and leave them down there. Right? That's a good place to say amen. Otherwise, there wouldn't be many folks to come back next Sunday. Right? If we put them down there and kept them there, we, we constantly have plenty of seats. Right? That's not what we do. Why? Because Yes, his death is our death. But here's what the gospel says. He didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sins. Now, yes, his death is my death, but his life is my life. And I'm now raised to walk in the newness that is Christ in me, his resurrection in and through me. So baptism by immersion is important because it portrays and declares the glorious power power of the gospel that his death is my death and his life is my life. Every time somebody's baptized, that is what's being communicated. So, baptized according to the teaching of Jesus, after salvation, by immersion, here's the third phrase, in fellowship. In fellowship. 
And by that I mean in fellowship with a community of believers. Did you know baptism is not given to the individual? Baptism is given to the fellowship of believers. Let me show it to you. In Acts chapter 2, probably the largest baptismal service recorded in Scripture. In Acts 2, on the first day of Pentecost, 3,000 people are born again into relationship with God. And then they're baptized. Listen to what it says in Acts 2 verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were, what's the next word? Added about 3,000 souls. The word added means to join together with. What were these people added to when they were baptized? Well, they weren't added to the family of God spiritually because as soon as somebody's born again, as soon as you put your faith in Christ and turn from your sin, you're born again into relationship with God, and immediately you become a part of the spiritual family of God, which is every tribe, tongue, people, and nation in every corner of the globe that one day will worship Him for all eternity in heaven, right? That's the family of God. So these people were not through baptism added to the family of God spiritually. Then what were they added to? They were added to the visible expression of the family of God locally, which is the church. You see, when somebody is baptized, they are publicly declaring, not only I belong to Jesus, but I belong to the fellowship of the family of God. And let me tell you something. That's a powerful statement in cultures in the world where persecution still exists. A very, they don't care if you pray to receive Christ, but when you're baptized publicly and identify with the community of believers, that's when persecution sets in. Why? Because it's such a powerful statement about my identity in Christ and my belonging to the family of God, which is the church. When, when Philip baptized this man here in Acts chapter 8, Philip had been sent out from the church at Jerusalem to start and plant new churches. Do you realize that this guy who was baptized in Acts chapter 8 He's the first Christian on the continent of Africa. First Christian on the continent of Africa right here. This Ethiopian takes the gospel back to Ethiopia and out of his life, the gospel is planted on the continent of Africa and this new church begins there. So, let me recap. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you do not need to be baptized. If you're here today and you've already been baptized after salvation, by immersion, in fellowship with a community of believers, you do not need to be baptized. Let me make a statement. I'm going to put it on the screen. If you are not in those two groups, today you need to be baptized. And you say, um, wait a minute. Well, let me say it another way. If you have a relationship with Jesus, that's paramount. If you have a relationship with Jesus and you have not been baptized after salvation by immersion in fellowship with a local church, today you need to be baptized. You say, well, I, I didn't come ready to be back. I didn't bring any clothes. I'm not ready to be back. Listen, don't worry about it. We took care of all of that. We went to Walmart. We have clothes for you today. 
Not only did we go to Walmart and have clothes for you, we went to, I can't ever remember, Beth and Bath and Beauty or Body or whatever it's called. We got, we got everything you need to make yourself look just as beautiful as you do right now. We got hair dryers. We got whatever you need today that would be an obstacle. We thought ahead, and we if you have a relationship with Jesus and you haven't been baptized after salvation by immersion in fellowship with a local church, today is the day for you to be baptized. So let me ask the question again. What prevents me from being baptized? Well, there are a lot of excuses that people give. I want to give you the three most common and give you an answer to them, all right? Here's the first one. People will say, well, I, I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready. That didn't exist in the New Testament. In the New Testament, as soon as somebody gave their life to Christ, they immediately, as soon as they could, were baptized. This is something that only exists really in our culture here in America, this idea that I can be saved, and it's because of our confusion about private and public and our relationship with the Father. I'm not ready. Can I, can I finish that statement for you? Because I want you to hear what you're saying. I'm not ready to obey Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be honest. The very first command Jesus gives us after we begin a relationship with him. He said to his disciples, go make disciples, baptize them. First step. The first step of obedience in my relationship with Jesus is to publicly declare him in baptism. We're talking about a simple step of obedience. And some people will say, well, I'm not ready because I'm praying about that. Well, let me help you, all right? You don't have to pray about something that is clearly spelled out in the Bible. I'm serious. When God speaks clearly, you don't have to pray about that. He's already getting, if you're waiting on him to give you an answer, he already has. It's in the book. I'm not ready. Let me give you a second excuse people often give. I'm afraid of blank. And you fill in the blank because there's a lot of them. For example, some people say, I'm afraid of what people will think. Because if your testimony is like mine, when I was a child, I was baptized, but it wasn't until I was a freshman in college that I came to know Jesus personally. Then I surrendered to ministry, and I I was a pastor, a a student pastor at a church that ran over 1,000 people. We had over 300 people in our student ministry. I preached once a month in this church, either Sunday morning, Sunday night service. And it was about six years after I'd been born again, five years, and I realized that I'd never been baptized since my conversion, since coming to know Jesus. And I had to stand up in front of our church as a pastor and say, I need to get something right. I've never been baptized biblically according to the teaching of Jesus since giving my life to Christ. And so today, one of our other pastors is going to baptize me. We had about 50 other people in our fellowship that followed suit and came and followed me in the baptism because their testimony was the exact same as mine, that they'd never been baptized since becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. They were afraid of what people are going to think. Listen, it don't matter what anybody thinks. It's what Jesus said to do. Amen? Sometimes people say, I'm afraid of measuring up. I'm not going to be baptized until I think I can live the Christian life. Well, let me just tell you something. If you wait to get baptized until you think you can live the Christian life, you're never going to get baptized. 
That's like saying we're going to have kids when we can afford it. <laughs> right? If that's your heartbeat, let me tell you what, you're never going to have kids because <laughs> you can't ever afford it, right? And here's the reality. We never get to the place where in our strength we can live the Christian life and measure up. It's only Christ in us. And that's the beauty of the picture of baptism. It's giving a testimony that I've been raised in Christ, and it's now not about me trying to live for Jesus. I'm not going to be perfect, but as Christ lives his life in me, that's the newness of life. Some people are afraid of doing something in public. Some people are afraid of water. Listen, all those are legitimate, real fears. But let me show you a verse of Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Look what it says. God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Here's what that means. If fear is my obstacle, that is not of God. It's of my flesh because God hadn't given us a spirit of fear. But he's given us power, love, and discipline. Now look what it says. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Now, Paul didn't write this specifically about baptism, but what an application. He said, God hadn't given you a spirit of fear. That's not of God. That's of you. That's of your flesh. That's of the world. God's given you power and love and and discipline, sound mind. So don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed to publicly declare your relationship with Jesus. Here's the third excuse people give. I don't understand why it's a big deal. I don't understand why it's a big deal. Well, I hope after hearing this morning, you understand now why it is a big deal. And if not, I want to just recap for you what I've said. Here's why it's a big deal. Number one, it publicly declares my relationship with Jesus. Number two, it publicly declares I belong to God's family. Number three, it publicly declares the message of the gospel. And number four, it is the first command that Jesus gave us to follow. That explains why it's a big deal deal. I don't earn favor with God. I don't earn grace from God. I don't earn forgiveness. I don't earn anything in baptism. But I publicly declare a lot of things. And I obey the person of Jesus. Now just in case what I've shared with you already hadn't shown you the biblical reality of what baptism is and why we do it, I want you to watch one more thing. Last year a very good friend of mine in our church Pastor Mike Farnham heard me talk and teach about baptism. And in response to that message on baptism, Mike realized something about himself and was baptized. And I want you to hear him tell his own story. Watch the screen. Jesus said, you will have tribulation in this world. But he said, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. He has overcome the world. Those who are in Christ, you guys who are in Christ, are more than conquerors. My father, Mike Farnham, was ordained as a pastor 14 years ago. He has served on church staffs and was a church planter in Reno. For the last six years, my dad has been on a journey battling a rare disease called progressive supranuclear palsy, which comes with multiple challenges. In 2013, He listened to a message from Pastor Vance that stressed the necessity of being baptized after salvation. Otherwise, as Pastor Vance said, you're just getting wet.
When my dad was 19, he was baptized. But five months later, he attended a crusade and truly understood the gospel and accepted the free gift of salvation through Jesus. Looking back, he realized that his baptism was out of order and he needed to get it right. On May 19, 2013, my dad made his faith public through baptism. Being a pastor did not stop him from following the command of Jesus to be baptized. Being disabled did not stop him. What prevents you from being baptized? Don't let anything stop you from obeying Christ in baptism. You never know the testimony that God can give you when you simply do what He's commanded. Mike, even though it was a, a struggle and a challenge to be here tonight, he said, I want to honor the Lord and obey Him in baptism. So I get the incredible privilege tonight to stand here before you and baptize my friend and a co-laborer in the gospel, Pastor Mike Farnham. Mike, is it your testimony that you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Amen. And Mike, it gives me a lot of joy tonight, my brother, to be able to baptize you as my brother in the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here's the question. What prevents you from being baptized? Here's what's about to happen. I'm going to ask our, our worship team to go ahead and come and join me here on stage. We're about to sing a song of worship together as a family of faith. And I want to talk to two groups of people today. If you're here and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, in just a moment we're going to have a couple of our pastors standing right here at the front. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't need to think about baptism yet. We want to talk to you about a relationship with God. When we stand to sing this song of worship, in just a moment, I want you to just leave your seat, come to one of these pastors here at the front and say to them, I need Jesus. And they'll have somebody show you, just like we had several do in the first service. They'll have somebody show you how you can begin a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You just come to one of these pastors, say, I need Jesus, and they'll show you how to become a follower of Jesus. For the rest of you, if God's spoken to you today and you have a relationship with Jesus and you've never been baptized since being saved by immersion in fellowship with a community of believers, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. When we stand to sing, I don't want you to come this way. I want you to go that way. And we have people out there in the lobby in the courtyard wearing shirts. Brian, step up on the step here. Just like Brian's got on right here with a big green arrow on it. That's our next steps team. They're out there in the courtyard in the lobby. When we stand to sing this song of worship, I want you to go that way. I want you to connect with one of them and say, I need to be baptized. They'll have a quick conversation with you about your relationship with Jesus. And then they're going to get you all the clothes and whatever materials you need to get you ready for being baptized. So that's what we're going to do. If you need Jesus, you come right here. If you're ready to obey him in baptism today, 
You go out those doors. For the rest of us, we're going to sing, we're going to worship, and then we're going to go outside, and we got hot dogs and all kinds of food, and we got the baptistry set up. We are going to celebrate life change today. If that makes sense, say amen. If you're excited about the people who are going to get baptized today, say amen. All right, I hope you heard that. Don't, don't let the enemy rob you of the joy today and the freedom of what you're about to experience, okay? So if you're clear on what you're... Don't, don't, don't listen to the excuses. You obey Jesus. Let me pray.